Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Black woman. Beautiful. Powerful. Resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation. A talk, especially an informal one, between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So... We created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How has your week been? It's been good. I have been doing AMA stuff all week. So I've been at the AMA conference or the American Medical Association conference. Uh, I feel like forever because it's virtual. So it's broken up into two weekends and a half of a week. So this is the second weekend that will go into the half of the week. So I'll go back to work on Wednesday, but it feels like I'm at work because we are literally overlapping even now the AMA conference. It's just... It's a lot going on. <laughs> it's a lot going on in the conference. We're like constantly like debating over resolutions. I mean, and they're important, right? They are, they're important. They affect uh, medicine, things from racism we're debating to universal health care to coverage for postpartum care up to 12 months. I mean, they are pertinent things that will be lobbied in the House eventually that will then be turned into and recognized as bills. So it's important work. It's just, long work. It's long work. And people say, oh, did you take off work? I usually work and do that virtual stuff at the same time. I'm like you cannot work and do this conference virtually at the same time. We vote like every two minutes on some topic. So I'm literally sitting in front of a computer from like nine in the morning to like 5 p.m. That was the schedule yesterday. So um, yeah, it's just been busy, but it's been good. It's been busy, but good. I'm glad you're doing the Lord's work because that sounds extremely boring, but I'm so glad that people like you care enough to pay attention to it and focus on it so that we can have laws that actually help us, not laws that were made to benefit the man. You're right. It can be really boring, but I love policy. So to me, this is like watching Jerry Springer because I'm like, what's this person going to say? What's this person going to say? Okay, this is what we're going to say. And you're like texting. You're like, yeah, get your game face ready. You're on it. I'm on it. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so glad that you're excited about this because I would be like, God, please help me get through this. I can't sit still for eight hours in front of a computer screen. I cannot do it. Well, uh, you could like put your earphones in and like walk around and listen. But once, you know, you have to speak, you have to have your camera on. And so like holding your camera and like trying to read what you wrote in terms of testimony so you can get the laws right. You know, it's kind of difficult. So you are probably sitting when you're providing testimony so that you're, you know, not 
going to lose signal and things like that. The biggest challenge has been the connections, right? Like forgetting to mute and unmute, um, people not having good connections, uh, people not knowing how to get in and out of the queue. So that's been like the most difficult thing. Whereas we wouldn't have that if we were in person. The other thing that sort of kind of sucks that we have to only talk about things that are urgent. So it lets you know what's really prioritized and what's not, right? So they're like, oh, that fertility bill that you're trying to get through, like that's really not a priority during the pandemic. Or yeah, like this stuff that you're talking about with these people with disabilities, like that is not a priority because we're in the pandemic. And so now we've had almost, you know, this is the fourth meeting during the pandemic that, you know, we've been pushing the can down the road for two years on some of these really important issues that quote unquote aren't as important as we want them to be because they're not timely. Like, oh, that's a chronic situation like why are we talking about that like because it is a yeah. situation that's why we're talking about it like but there's very limited time in the middle of the pandemic to talk about things virtually like whereas a lot of these meetings would go on like simultaneously and you'd have a lot more people able to be there to represent sections you don't have that right so then you only have two meetings going on simultaneously as opposed to four so it's just less information you can literally physically get out. And so I get it. Like some of the stuff has to be put on the back burner just to be able to get through it and not work till 10 p.m. Like last meeting, I mean, there were some meetings we were still talking about stuff at like 7 p.m. And I was like, okay, I'm over this. Like I'm, we've been doing this since 9 a.m. at 7 p.m. Like I'm done. Like somebody tag me out because I'm out. So they're trying to make that kind of stuff not happen, but we shall see. Yeah, we shall see. What have you done this week? I went to Philadelphia for opening night of Will Smith's book tour. And let me tell you something. I loved Will Smith before, but like listening to him explain his life and the life lessons that he's, you know, picked up along the way. It's just something about a a good storyteller. It's something about a good storyteller. And Will Smith, he told the story. But something that I found very interesting is he talks about his mom and his and his father and, you know, the lessons and things that he had learned, you know, from them. And he talked about his children, but he didn't really speak much about Jada. Hmm. What's that about? The only time that he mentioned her, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the entire night when he was referencing a story about Willow. Was she there? Not that I saw. Hmm. Oh, wow. Hmm. Right. I found that very interesting. But overall, the event was phenomenal. Queen Latifah was the moderator. And for anyone who is a Will Smith fan, or even if you're not a Will Smith fan, I would really encourage you to go. Like, I highly recommend the show. And if you can go, try to make one of the stops on this book tour. It is absolutely phenomenal. I also got a chance to see some of my favorite Philly people while I was in Philadelphia. So I got to see Joe and Nicole. And I had a great time. So it was awesome. All right, Jenny. So what's on your timeline this week? Before I get into this story, I just want to say that throughout this research, which it took me hours to research all of this because I was trying to be as accurate as possible just because of the nature of the subject. But I used some articles from CNN, from the World website, from the LA Times. And one of our friends on IG she goes by Gray Jen 2017. She has actually been compiling a bunch of information that she's found and sharing it with us. So thank you. So I'm going to give the story of Astroworld. So on Friday, November the 5th, 
2021, Travis Scott's Astroworld Festival kicked off on the former grounds of Six Flags Astroworld, now in RG Park in good old Houston, Texas. The theme was Open Your Eyes to a Whole New World. The lineup included Roddy Rich, Lil Baby, Chief Keef, Tame Impala, 21 Savage, SZA, Master P, Earth, Wind and & Fire, and Travis Scott himself. And that literally just scratches the surface of who was scheduled to perform at this festival. So the gates for the first day of the, of the sold-out two-day festival opened at 1 p.m. According to CNN, before gates were even open at 9 a.m., the main gate had already been breached. This seemed to be the first of a series of unfortunate events, but it wouldn't be the last. Throughout the day, eight separate security breaches were reported. And it's estimated that up to 5,000 unscanned, unticketed people had entered the concert space by 5 p.m. At that time, Houston PD reported, quote, dangerous crowd conditions. Gate security was not the only concern. It's reported that by the time Travis Scott hit the stage at 9 p.m., more than 260 of the 50,000 concert goers had been treated by staff. It's not really clear what the treatments were for, but the treatments were logged. Travis Scott hit the stage at 9 p.m. According to the Houston Fire Department, the crowd began to compress and people began to get trapped. There was a crush injury that was documented approximately 20 minutes after Travis Scott hit the stage. A little after 9.30, approximately 10 minutes later, there were police reports of several people who had either passed out or been trampled followed by at least five calls to 911 about unconscious concert goers. Travis Scott and the organizers seemed to be unaware of what was taking place in the large crowd. However, about 30 minutes into the performance, he did point out from the stage that there was an ambulance in the crowd. He paused the show and then he continued his set. He brought out Drake he performed his hit song, Goosebumps, and after a full 25-song set list at approximately 10.15, Travis Scott left the stage and ended the show. By this point, a mass casualty incident had already been declared, and hospital transport had already begun. Several people had been transported to area hospitals, including at least six reported cardiac arrest patients. This series of catastrophic events with at least 10 fatalities so far, and this includes a nine-year-old boy who had been at the concert with his father, who had been placed in a medically induced coma and eventually succumbed to his injuries this past Sunday. This incident makes it the deadliest concert since the mass shooting at the Country Music Festival in Vegas in 2017. So now, after you get all of the details of this, you have questions. So the first question is, how does this happen? This happens for several reasons. Lack of proper planning, lack of communication, lack of procedure, improper staffing. And honestly, sometimes it happens just because of a series of terrible circumstances. So let's focus on planning for a second. So from what I was able to collect, there was a plan in place. CNN published a 56-page plan that was titled the Event Operations Plan. However, having planned events personally before and events actually of this size, it takes a lot of planning. 
And I'm not talking like, hey, let's have a couple of phone calls and emails and let's talk about this on a Zoom. I'm talking months and sometimes years of planning for events of this size. You can't just print out words on a paper and hand it out and expect that it's all going to come together. For events like this, you have to have all of the agencies and all of the parties that are involved. They have to kind of sit down and talk about things. And it's not just talking about what their agency does, but also how their agency affects the other agencies. How is security working with the fire department? How is security working with the police department? How is EMS working with everyone? So you have to kind of sit down and put everyone together in the same room and run through the plan. A plan on paper isn't always as helpful as you would think. But this plan, it was a little interesting because in the plan, it stated something super important. It stated that the only people that had the authority to stop this show were the festival director and the executive producer, neither of which is Travis Scott, which I found interesting. The promoters also gave the Houston PD two additional plans. One plan was for medical and one plan was in case of emergencies, which we now know to be ineffective as the medical staff was clearly overwhelmed. Let's go on to communication. So Houston police notified the production team, and I have air quotes, the production team that there was an issue and they asked the team to stop the show. Well, based on what I just said, it seems that the people that they were asking to stop the show were the wrong people. And the communication to get to notify the people who had the authority to stop the show wasn't passed along quickly enough. Also, the firefighters who were outside of the venue were not radioed. That's a huge problem. The only way that they could communicate with the EMS who were working inside of the venue was via cell phone. Now, if you've ever worked in an event, you know that cell phone is not a reliable form of communication for an event for two reasons. One, it takes a really long time to look up a number and make a call. Two, if you know anything about cell phone service, it's very unreliable in super densely populated areas, especially if 50,000 people. EMS isn't communicating with the fire department and the police don't know who the proper people are to go to to get the show to stop. Let's move on to procedure. As I said, there was a plan in place. It outlined a number of things. However, safety expert Paul Withermere, who has handled a number of cases like this, stated that there was nothing in place. There was no plan in place for what we call festival style seating, which is the kind of seating that you would see at any festival. Coachella, you know, if you want to go back in the day, Live Aid, Woodstock, festivals like that, where basically it's just open space and a free-for-all and first come, first serve when it comes to spacing. He said there was no plan in place for that. And there was also no plan in place for crowd control, which clearly is extremely problematic. And finally, staffing. So according to the Houston mayor, there were 528 police officers assigned to this event. There were also 755 security guards that the show promoters provided for the event which we have now discovered were likely not properly vetted. A security guard just recently came out and said that he worked the show along with his uncle. And the only thing that they had to do was sign up on a piece of paper. They received a text message asking if they would like to work concert security. They were going to get paid $17 via cash app and they were in. 
They didn't have to show ID. Only thing they had to do was sign up. And apparently he said that there were a lot of people who signed up like that. But that's not just problematic because we don't know who's actually working a concert, but it's problematic because not only did the security guard, had he never worked a concert before, he had never even as much been to a concert before. So there's no frame of reference for what he's about to do. And he was placed next to the stage. It seems that the concert promoters were more interested in putting bodies there than actually getting qualified people. This honestly seems to be an amalgamation of some really unfortunate circumstances. I feel like you can't deny circumstances. And sometimes things like this happen. This isn't the first concert casualty. Notably, there have been casualties at the Who concert. Pearl Jam has dealt with things like this before. And it happens, unfortunately. Most festivals don't have casualties per se. I would venture to say that probably the busiest EMS workers are those who work festivals. After we understand how this happens, we kind of have to ask ourselves who's to blame. And I honestly kind of hate that question because it implies that there's one person or one agency that's to blame for this. And honestly, I personally believe that everyone is to blame. The promoters who seem to have haphazardly thrown this unorganized festival together, you know, ultimately, they're the financier of the concert. So it, you know, makes them liable. The security company that allowed inexperienced people to work, that makes them liable. The city that allowed the festival that already had issues in prior years to provide them with a plan that they clearly didn't vet. Also, they provided them with permitting for a festival that had already gotten out of control before for them to not only do the show again, but to expand the show. I think that that also would make the city liable. In 2019, three people were trampled at this exact same show. They ended up being hospitalized and the city never even addressed it. They just kind of were like, okay, here's a permit. The Houston PD for not thoroughly vetting the plans. The fire department for not requiring proper communication. The venue itself for not ensuring the safety of everyone that crossed its path. And let's talk about Travis. So Travis himself, because Travis is ultimately responsible for his brand. And Travis's brand, unfortunately, has become synonymous with him encouraging people to rush the stage and encouraging a, a chaotic show. He's done this before. He's actually been prosecuted for this before and pled before for this. So unfortunately, that's part of what his brand has become. And if he knew or didn't know, we, we can't ever prove. But what we can say is that the point where he saw the ambulance, he should have stopped the show until things were under control. It's his stage to control once he hits it. And it's commonplace to do. Other artists have done it, like I said. Drake has done it. Drake did it when he saw a girl being groped in the audience. He stopped his show. Pearl Jam has stopped the show when someone needed assistance in the audience. And Travis Scott actually himself has stopped a show before because someone in the audience needed assistance. So I think that he knows how to handle the situation. He probably just made a bad judgment call. And last but not least by any stretch of the imagination, the people, the concert goers themselves are also responsible. And for the minor concert goers, their parents are responsible. So hear me out. If you went to the concert and you were one of the people who was starting the rush towards the stage, 
you're responsible. So lawsuits have already begun, as we know. They're rolling in. An independent investigation is taking place. But what it ultimately is going to come down to are contracts, insurance, a determination of negligence and liability. And while some think that it should be, I don't think that it's criminal. No one, however, is without blame. Everyone needs to stop trying to shift the blame and point at a different organization and take responsibility for their part in the situation. Take responsibility for what they could have done to avoid this tragedy and hopefully come together to try to start the healing process. Thanks for that uh, history of everything. Uh, so uh, a couple of things, though. One, Astral Festival, the concept was thought of by Travis Scott. Like this is locally, this is known as his concert. He is a partner in this concert. And so obviously he is the face of the Astral Fest. Although there were 22 other people that were slated to line up, he is the face. He was the, the person that came up with this concept. And so, of course, he is going to be the face of the lawsuits. Now, whether it's all his fault or not, no, I don't think it's all his fault. I agree with you that some of this is on the people that organized the concert. Now, I don't know how much vetting the fire department does with plans or the police officers do, um, the police chief does with plans of each concert because Houston is freaking huge. So I don't know how much vetting they do with each and every plan, but I do know that if it's a private uh, location, which Energy Park is, and if it is uh, a concert, then the onus is up to those people to make sure they have adequate security in addition to making sure they have contracts and policies in place with local authorities. So I think that, yes, the concert promoters and anybody that helped organize this event is definitely responsible. Um, in terms of Travis Scott, like we were like, oh, we can't put the blame on him. The blame went on him when he acknowledged that people told him to stop and he kept performing. Um, the blame got put on him when the guys were jumping on top of the ambulance and he was encouraging this continued mosh pit that was going on at this concert. Um, his concerts are known to be like walking into a mosh pit. He has some responsibility to bear in this because although he's not the person that can end the concert, he is the person that could stop it at least temporarily until the ambulance got out of the way or he figured out what was going on with people that were a part of this mosh pit and this crush injury. Yeah, last year, the pandemic stopped the Astral Fest. So 2019, you had three people getting injured, but that was on entry into the barricade. Like it wasn't during the concert that those people got injured. And this concert had 50,000, 2019 had 50,000. So it really wasn't a difference in the amount of people that attended. 2018 was the first year. And yes, those numbers were a lot lower than 2019 and 2021. The 2019 one, it was only one day. This year, it was supposed to be two days. So it, they sold 100,000 tickets to this festival. Yeah, I understand that. But it's still 50,000 people a day. And they had on that one day, 50,000 people. So you still have the same capacity in the same location. So you should be accustomed to handling that many people was my point. So they can't say that it's because, oh, we have a lot more people this year than last year. No, no. Like it's still 50,000 people. You should have been able to handle that. And if you weren't able to handle that or if you dropped the ball somewhere between the 2019 festival and the 2021 festival, then that's a problem. Like if you knew that in 2019, there are three crush injuries on entry, then why would you not gear up even more security upon entry 
instead of letting 5,000 people rush in for 2021. Like that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But I do think that it's the people that organized it and the concert promoters. And yes, I think that Travis Scott has to bear some of the blame because he was told, he acknowledged that he was told, and then he continued despite seeing ambulances in his crowd and seeing people jump on top of ambulances in his crowd. So yes, I think that both the people performing as well as the people organizing are both to blame. I don't know if I can put the onus on the attendees. I know ultimately people are responsible for themselves, but I mean, you really can't control what everybody else around you is doing. So the only thing that people could do to actually avoid that, because if you're like, hey, I'm not going in here, I'm not doing drugs, I'm not drinking, I'm not doing anything. I'm just coming in here to have a good time and watch the concert. Like, is it your fault that all of a sudden all these people are like rushing in? Well, no, not really. I mean, it's your fault because you went. But that's the only bad thing that you did was actually go. And so the only solution to not being involved in that would have been to not go. And knowing people that have been to that concert, knowing parents of people that have been to that concert, I mean, they were freaking out the night of that concert trying to find their kids. For them, they didn't know that, oh, I'm buying my kids tickets to this concert or my 20-year-old college student is going to a concert and yeah, there's a, a risk that they, there's not enough security and you can get a crush injury. I mean, nobody's thinking that way. But the only way to avoid that is just to literally not go to concerts. I mean, that's the only way to try to... If you, if we say that the, the blame is for the people that are going, that are not involved in drugs and not involved in anything, then what we're saying is, oh, you shouldn't go. And I, I don't think I can comfortably say that. No, I'm, I'm not referring to the people who are going and they are doing what they're supposed to do. I'm referring to the people who start the pushing. Here's my thing. Everyone can only control themselves. But if everyone had controlled themselves at this concert, this wouldn't have happened. There are a certain subset of concert goers that we categorized as problematic for this very reason. And those problematic concert goers, yes, I would like to blame them. I'm not blaming the victims of what happened. I'm blaming the concert goers that like to incite this kind of chaotic environment. They okay. absolutely are to blame. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But it sounded as if we were like, oh, read the description on the back of your ticket. And I wanted to make sure we clarify that because I don't want us to seem like we're blaming victims here. The reason why they say like you accept all of the rules and disclaimers and all of that is because there's a code of conduct. When you agree to go to a show, you agree to abide by that code of conduct. And when you incite this kind of chaotic behavior... That's not accurate. No, I understand that. That part I understand. But then the uh, the onus also, again, has to go back to Travis Scott, who encourages people to break the code of conduct. And so in this situation, I don't feel bad for Travis Scott. I mean, locally, like being here in Houston, people feel bad for Travis Scott. Like people love Travis Scott. Like he is like a local hero. And anytime you hear this conversation, people are always like, well, earlier that day, he went to such and such schools and he gave away all of these, all these goodies. And he read to the student, like I, he does very good work in the community. He does a lot. He donates to a lot of schools. So locally, like people are like sort of kind of pissed that this is being blamed on Travis Scott, especially when a lot of the people injured weren't Houstonians. So they're like, well, that's our like local hero. And we don't want him to be talked about like that. But realistically, he has a lot to blame. He, he has the blame on some of this. I mean, you can't say people have to adhere by a code of conduct. And then you have the person on the stage encouraging you to not abide by the code of conduct. Like, where's his code of conduct? Where's his code of conduct? The unfortunate part is his brand has kind of become synonymous with this. Even if he 
he was not encouraging that at the time. Like, even if he never said anything from the stage that encouraged a chaotic concert environment, he does it all the time. And he's actually, like, he's been in court for it before. So... Yes, he's not without blame. As the face of the show, you get the good and the bad. But that doesn't mean that you're the one that's able to make the decision. So I kind of feel bad for him as well, because I feel like because he's the face of it, you know, he's getting the brunt of the blame. But there are a lot of decision makers and a lot of people before you get to Travis Scott, follow the money. It's going to be an insurance game in, in the courts at this point. Yeah, it is. I mean, it really is. All right, Janine. So you ready to talk through some scenarios? Absolutely. All right. So let's go to our first letter. And it says, Nicole and Janine, I'm in Texas and work as a teacher at an elementary school teaching fourth grade. I'm vaccinated. But as Nicole knows, the governor has banned mask wearing in school and basically demanded that vaccine mandates be abolished. The public school systems were also forced to get rid of remote options, forcing people to go back to the classroom. Now we have kids who wear masks, but a lot that don't. One child got really sick, likely because he was infected by one of the positive cases, one of which was in his classroom. Several other kids in the class also got sick, but not as sick as this child. The child, who we'll call Timmy for confidentiality, has been in the ICU now for three weeks. Timmy's mom is furious and plans to take legal action against the family of the child who started the outbreak. This outbreak family has been very vocal about not wearing masks and that the pandemic is a hoax. I agree with Timmy's mom being pissed, but I think her anger is misdirected. She should probably be suing the state or the school board. What do you think? Okay, so first of all, I really, 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 like I cannot express how how much it really burns my soul that the first thing that we think about when we have health tragedies is to sue. Like we are so litigious that we are missing the picture. Why? Just why? I mean, honestly, okay, we're suing, sue everybody. I mean, I feel the same way about this that I feel about Travis Scott. Sue the state, sue the governor, sue everyone that you can legally sue, sue them all. And the reason why I say this is because it's no one particular person or entity's fault. It is a series of bad decisions that allowed her child to be exposed to COVID. If it wasn't for the governor, if it wasn't for the state mandate, if it wasn't for the school board, if it wasn't for the particular school's handling of the situation, the parents, if it wasn't for all of those people making the decisions that they made, this would have a different outcome. So I don't, again, I don't think it's one person, one entity's fault. I think it's a combination of a bunch of bad decisions that unfortunately ended with her child having COVID. I don't know. What do you say, Nicole? So uh, I think that when we deal with an ICU case for three weeks, I know we're like, oh, people are so litigious, but realistically, like, that costs money, right? Like your insurance is only going to cover so much. You're going to be, if you have private insurance and good private insurance, you're going to be stuck with 20% of the bill. You're going to be stuck with some of it. Um, if you have Medicaid because it's a child, then you shouldn't be stuck with a lot of the bill. But then you have that whole like donut hole effect where if you are on Medicaid, you can't get certain things. So like I was talking to a friend of mine that lives in Indiana. And if you are on Medicare or Medicaid and you have COVID and you need ECMO, which is basically a machine that 
filters and pumps blood for you to the rest of the body, basically. If you've been on ECMO for two weeks and you're not improving, then usually you're a candidate for a lung transplant. Not if you have Medicaid and Medicare. The government will not pay for that. They will put you on palliative care and you are not a candidate for a lung transplant or you have to pay for it yourself, okay? The public option will not cover that, okay? You have to be privately insured to cover that. And for some people, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe that. But I mean, this is public insurance. We don't have universal health care here. And so if you're talking about a kid being in the ICU for three weeks, like that's hundreds of thousands of dollars. And yeah, maybe we shouldn't have to be litigious. Maybe we should not have to sue, but like, who paying? Somebody has to pay. And I would argue that, yeah, I would sue the family of this child if we know that this child started the outbreak and this child does not wear a mask and this family is an anti-vaxxer family and they're putting themselves out there, which can then further influence other parents not to have their children wear masks. Well, yeah, I would slap them with the lawsuit, but I would also slap the superintendent's office with the lawsuit. I would slap the state of Texas with the lawsuit because this is unconstitutional. You're not giving people safe options to homeschool their kids anymore. Like that's not fair. Like to have to like pull your kids out of school and pay for your kids when you pay taxes for them to be in public school and you can't afford private school. Like it's giving parents no choice at all in this matter. It's giving teachers no choice at all. The only thing about teachers, because teachers are upset too, and you have a lot of lawsuits that teachers have pushed. Teachers are upset because they are exposed, right? They feel like we're left out to be martyrs. I mean, same way doctors feel. Like we felt like we were left out to be martyrs before the vaccine was here and before we had PPE. You were like, wait a minute, you want us to treat these people with COVID? You're not giving us N95 masks? Mm-mm. Like, why would we have to do that? Like, we either have to like quit our jobs or like sacrifice our lives. We shouldn't have to do that. And teachers are put in the same situation. But now teachers have a choice. Like they can get vaccinated and protect themselves and their families. So they have choices. These children that are less than 12 at that time, they don't have any choices. I mean, now you can get your kid vaccinated five and up, which is fantastic, right? In some trials anyway, in some states. But realistically, it's not rolled out universally until you're 12. So if you're talking about a fourth grader that's nine or 10, well, they don't have the option to protect themselves there. Their parents don't have the option to get them vaccinated. So it's sort of like throwing your kid into like a pit of infection and praying they don't get sick, which is unfortunate. So I think that the government is at fault for this. The state is at fault for this. Um, Luckily, now they've said that, you know, the governor and this whole mask banning, uh, that's unconstitutional because it puts people with disabilities at risk. So that is as of like two days ago, it's now unconstitutional for him to do that. But it's going to go back and forth through the courts, right? Like it's going to be like a never ending cycle of like, ban. We want to ban these masks and we don't want to ban the mask. And it's unconstitutional if you do that. So I would definitely sue the state of Texas. I would sue the state of, add them to your list of people that you're going to sue. Right. I agree, Nicole, because honestly, if you sue the family, are you really getting enough money to pay these medical bills for being in the ICU? I mean, the, the reason why people sue states and organizations is because that's where you get money if that's what you're looking for. Because suing another family, like, what are you going to do? Bankrupt them? And then you really still don't get your medical bills paid? It's kind of like a catch-22. But I have a question, and I'm interested to hear how you feel about this because you're a doctor. Don't you think that if we were less litigious, these expenses would be a whole lot less? Yes. I mean, right now in medicine, you have to practice 
legal medicine, like it's legal defensive medicine, which is really a shame. But as soon as there became way more law schools than medical schools, that's what happened. Like there's way more lawyers than there are doctors and lawyers make a living by billable hours. They are constantly looking for new cases. And the easiest cases to find are medical cases. Anytime somebody's unhappy with their medical care and they file a suit, even if the suit gets tossed out, that's legal fees they can collect. And that's legal fees that a doctor or a hospital or facility has to pay out. So you have to keep these lawyers on staff. But yes, a lot of it is legal medicine. As in these cases we're talking about, somebody always wants to sue somebody because things are expensive. It's expensive to survive and live. But yes, I do agree Hmm. with that. We don't realize that for temporary gain for, you know, a million dollars here, a million dollar lawsuit there, we're literally making ourselves broke because now we can't afford things like healthcare. Or let's go back to the Travis Scott case. Tickets are now $500 as opposed to $100. Like it's just, can we stop suing? All right, Janine. So what's your letter? Okay, my letter says, Nicole and Janine, my husband and I are huge country music fans. Yes, we're black, but we love country music. Insert shrug emoji. A few years ago, my husband and I went to a Florida Georgia Line concert. While we were at the show, some guy who had had way too much to drink decided to let the N-word rip. When my husband heard it, he politely asked the man to move away from me. When he refused and pushed my husband over the seats, my husband landed a single punch to his face. Before my husband could even draw back his fist for a second time, it felt like the entire section was fighting. Not only did my husband get injured, he was unable to get help. And when he got help, he was arrested. He was later released. And I suggested that my husband press charges. But my husband chalked it up to one too many drinks. Insert eye roll emoji. This is not the first time that my husband and I have gotten into an altercation at a concert. Because of this, I no longer like to go to concerts between the violence and people unable to control their alcohol consumption, I just feel like it's not safe. My husband kind of feels guilty, and he thinks that the reason why I no longer want to go to shows is because he got into a fight. I just don't feel safe. So I guess I have two questions. First, how can I explain to my husband that it's not his fault? And second, do you have any suggestions on how I can compromise and go to shows with my husband without being afraid? So... Your husband always gets into fights. Maybe I would not take my husband to any more concerts. Like, let's be clear. Like, if trouble is always following you, then you have to look at you. And so if if your husband is always getting into fights, he has to do some self-evaluation and say, okay, what am I doing? And maybe it's not his fault. Um, So you can't explain like, hey, you go going to country music festivals. I mean, they're sort of kind of probably more racist people there than the average concert. So um, I'm not telling you not to love country, but maybe you should go to concerts that you can buy like higher end t- tickets and be in a box as opposed to on the floor with more racist people. Uh, and that may be a way to avoid fights. But otherwise, if we see that we're going to be walking into a lion's den every time we go somewhere, I would personally avoid the lion's den and 
buy you some higher end tickets to sit in somebody's box so that you're not um, subjected to that at all. That That's what I would say. In terms of like your husband suing or not, I mean, both of them probably had one too many drinks. And if he's not hurt, then I probably wouldn't go through the hassle of suing. I don't think people understand what suing entails. We're like, I'm going to sue somebody. Somebody hit me, I'm going to sue. Pressing charges, yes. Like if you know the person that assaulted you, yes, I would press charges. You do not have the right to put your hands on me. But in terms of like suing them, like they could take three years, four years, five years to go to case. I was talking to a friend of mine and she literally just settled, settled, didn't even go to a trial, settled a 2017 lawsuit. I mean, y'all, this takes some time. So I would not go the lawsuit route unless he was like really injured and you had some hospital bills that you had to cover. But press charges? Oh yeah, I'd press charges. You're not gonna put your hands on me. I agree literally with everything that you just said. First of all, look, I get it. Press charges. They, it, it probably wouldn't even go to a trial, honestly. It probably would be settled. They probably gonna pay for you. You said your husband was injured, but he ended up getting arrested. So he must not have been so injured. But I'm with Nicole. Like if you continue to go to these shows and the shows continue to produce the same results for you. And again, no reflection on the artist at all whatsoever. It's a reflection of the crowd that comes to see them, right? So the crowd of people, it's it's always going to be a mixed bag. So if this mixed bag of people continues to produce unsafe results for you, maybe you should go somewhere else. And you say that you love country music, right? Are there any other genres of music that you enjoy? Any other genres of music that might have people that may look a little bit more like you and not saying to segregate yourself because that's not what I'm suggesting at all. But if you would like to continue to go to concerts and this seems to be the problem, maybe go to a concert where that might not be the problem. But also, I think that we kind of have to give ourselves some grace, right? A concert is not a necessity. Concert is entertainment. And if you don't feel comfortable, you don't have to force the issue. If you really want to still go to concerts, you can ease your way back into it. But maybe go to a smaller venue. Like Nicole said, maybe not go to as many shows or if you can afford it to upgrade your tickets so that you have a little bit more of a, a cushier environment where these kinds of things should be less likely to happen. I just want to stress to you that it's okay to say, I don't feel safe and I don't feel comfortable in this situation and I don't want to go. And I think that your husband seems to be pretty protective of you. So I think that he will understand. And if he feels guilty, I don't know. As Nicole says, a hit dog will holler. But I don't think that you have to reassure your husband that he's not guilty because he's also not without fault in this situation. So maybe you all should find something else that you enjoy. All right. So, Janine, what did you learn new this week? Okay, so... You did mention that people really think that Travis Scott, especially in Houston, think that Travis Scott is amazing. And he is. And he gives back a lot. After this tragedy, he is going to give full refunds to everyone who purchased tickets. He has also agreed to cover the funeral expenses for all of the people who passed away as a result of this uh, festival. And something that I found really interesting is he partnered with BetterHelp to offer free mental health services for those who are affected by this incident, which I think was a, a very good move on his part. What did you learn new this week, Nicole? That was great. Um, I think that he's looking at the downstream effects of this. So that's that's very smart of him. That's awesome, actually. So what I learned that now there's like 200 lawsuits that have been filed Okay, about this uh, concert and these incidents. But guess who is filing half the lawsuits? Who? Ben Crump. 
Ben Crump has filed about 100 lawsuits on behalf of the families of the victims against the concert promoters and Travis Scott. I'm like, really? I thought he was a civil rights attorney. Girl, he is the show me the money attorney, okay? That's what he is. That's why I'm like, how does he get all these cases? I guess because people see him in the media. Like I said last time, the media controls the narrative and people are like, I want my narrative heard. That's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunate. And and no no shade to Ben Crump. Let, let me be clear. But like, there are many, many attorneys and I thought that he was a civil rights attorney. So I'm confused as to how he was the one that they called. All right. So are we ready for the motivational moment? Yes, we need it. All right. So to all the survivors and families of those severely injured or killed during the Astroworld Festival, we are praying with you and for you. No amount of money will bring your loved one back or make you not remember the event. But we wish you the best of luck as you seek justice financially and you continue to heal. Until we meet again. Pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated excellence. Bye. Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson-Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh, That's Deep, BWC. Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is a Mean Old Lion Media production.